Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We're walking our way through this Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And, and I believe out of COVID, and I believe once we, I don't know what the green light looks like, but I believe we, I believe you, I believe the church is going to be better on the other side of this. And I don't know, I mean, if you're just joining us here today, you can go back to our website, to the archives, or on our YouTube channel and, and kind of get caught up. But I don't know about you and your life, but for such a time as this, I needed this Nehemiah series. I really did. I needed some of the lessons and the social solutions that God brought through Nehemiah to his people. And so the story of Nehemiah happened 430 years before the birth of Jesus. And the city of Jerusalem and really the whole region of Judah lie in ruins. And Nehemiah was this trusted official to the Persian king Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah used that opportunity and he used his influence and he used his position to make a difference. And, and, and see, I think God's asking us 2,020 years after the birth of Christ to use our position, to use our influence, to use the breath in our lungs, to use this moment to make a difference. And Persian King Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah to go be the governor of the region of Judah. But job number one was to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And the book of Nehemiah is a rebuilding story. And see, I think you and I are in a renewing or a rebuilding or a re-engaging season coming out of this 2020 pandemic. What you see as you study the stories is that social problems are not new. Social media did not create social problems. All social media does is make everybody an expert on masks and college football, right? <laughs> Nehemiah had issues. Nehemiah has to confront social injustice. Nehemiah has to address social inequality, economic problems, toxic culture, and so much more. If you study through this book, I've got to be honest with you, Nehemiah chapter 3, which Pastor Matt preached on a couple of weeks ago, Nehemiah chapter 3 is my favorite chapter because I just love the picture it paints of brothers and sisters and neighbors and family members and countrymen and women coming together, locking arms, working side by side, to rebuild their city, to change their city. And I believe God wants the church to do the same thing, is to lock arms with your neighbors and your brothers, sisters, and other churches to help change a city. Nehemiah chapter 6 for me is a close second favorite chapter, okay? Because they're almost done with the wall, and Nehemiah has to focus to finish his task. My favorite phrase from the book of Nehemiah is found in Nehemiah chapter 3, and next to them, and next to them. And next to them, and I think it paints this picture of what Nehemiah chapter 3 is, is brothers and sisters working hand in hand. But my favorite verse is Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3. So let's get there. If you've got your Bible or you want to turn it on, it'll be up on the screen as well. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Sanballat and Tobiah, these are already bad guys that we've already met, right? And then there's a third part to the trifecta of evil, and it's Geshem the Arab. And the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and there were no gaps remained. Though we hadn't yet set up the doors in the gate. So Sam Ballot and Geshem sent, message, sent me a message asking to meet me or meet them at one of the villages in the plain of 
oh no, right? So that's your first hint, something's probably not right here, right? But I realized they were trying to, or they were plotting to harm me. So normally I preach and teach out of the New Living Translation, but I want to pause for just a second. I want to switch translations on you. And I want to go to the NIV as I look at verse 3, because Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3 is my favorite verse out of this story. And I think the way the NIV just, just paints a clear picture, kind of simplifies it, makes it memorable, right? So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I love this story. I love Nehemiah's focus. I love his confidence. I appreciate how he dealt with his critics. And this morning, I want to take another play from Nehemiah's playbook. How do I stay focused? And I know, I know there was, there was some good part of, of that whole COVID quarantine where it just forced us to shut down life. And for a little bit of time, it might, might have been stressful, but it was nice for the calendar not to be so full. And, and let's be honest, we all needed a couple of days of quarantine just to re-engage and reconnect with our family. But we're reopening. We're re-engaging. That calendar's starting to fill up a little bit. There are so many things pulling on us. There are so many options. There are so many things I want to be involved in. There's so many good things I can do. There's so many things I need to do. If you have kids... Oftentimes, that means there's no white space in your calendar. i got to take them here and have them there, and this lesson there, and this project there, and this thing here, and this friend sleep over here, right? If you have grandkids, you want more white space on your calendar so you can be a good Mimi and Pee-Pee, right? I have no idea what your grandkids call you. That's probably going to bite me someday, and my kids are probably going to call me Pee-Pee. This is just how it's going to play out. How did Nehemiah stay focused? How did he do that? There's so many things that were pulling on him. Clearly, as you read this Old Testament book about the rebuilding of a wall, there's a lot going on. He's the governor of the region. There are people that have real life issues, real pain, real hurts, and they're coming to Nehemiah because they think he can help. Then he's trying to rebuild the wall. He's trying to lead that project, but he also wants to be a good example, right? And so he's rolling up his sleeves, and he's setting the example. He's spending time out there every day working on the wall. And then he's trying to pay for the wall. For some of us, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, needs to be the verse that helps us reshape our season as we are rebuilding our life, as we are reengaging in this COVID reopening and so on and so forth. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I come down and meet with you? Short, simple. It's the reason why I love the NIV. He says, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. It, if I could get you to remember one thing about today is that I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not afraid of it. Because there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of good things we can be involved in. There's a lot of fun things we want to do. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of things and requests that are pulling on us. But truth be told, most of us in this room, if not all of us, just like Nehemiah, have this one thing that sits out in front of us. We have this one priority that we must do. And that thing is your wall. 
I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what your wall is. For some of us, we need to get our schedule under control. For some of us, we need to get our finances under control. Some of us, we need to read the book. Some of you need to write the book. Some of you, we, we need to lose the weight. Or maybe we need to invest in our kids. Or maybe we need to work on our marriage. I don't know what your one thing is, but God has placed this priority in your life. And there's a lot of things that are pulling on you. And there's a lot of neat opportunities out there, a lot of good opportunities, a lot of fun things that are out there. But truth be told, we have this one thing that we should focus on. And here's the hard part. Staying focused is hard. And for some of our personality types in here, like, because it's hard, it's overwhelming. And if it's overwhelming, I just tend to avoid it altogether. Nehemiah's critics knew he was just about done with that one. And they knew that this was their opportunity to distract him and derail him and stop the construction. If you've been through our growth track, it's a two-step process. Step one, it shows our orientation of the church. You kind of hear a little bit about how we got here and so on and so forth. And then in step two is like orientation to the dream team. And so it's kind of fun. We, we talk about your personality type. We talk about your spiritual gifting or kind of your spiritual personality type. And so if you've ever studied personality types, there's all different types out there. Some of them use letters like, oh, I'm a type A personality or type S or type C or, or whatever. Some of them make up names and words like they're sanguine and cleric. I don't know if you're making fun of me or complimenting me. Don't know what a melancholy is, but it sounds, you know, like I'm a depressed person. And, and so there's all these different, I'm a country boy, right? And we have this thing in country called animals. I can't remember sanguine cleric, but I can remember animals. You know what I'm saying? So that's the personality type that we use. You have the otter that's the life of the party. Woo! Everything's fun. Everything's all. You have the golden retriever that's very calm. You know, they're this loyal friend. And then you have the beaver that's kind of this organized planner and bring a lot of structure and stuff. And then there is the lion. And the lion is the king of the jungle, baby. He's the boss. She's the one that's in charge. I think, as I read this story about Nehemiah, I think he is a lion. And the thing about us lions is we don't easily back down. Matter of fact, we tend to flare up. Matter of fact, in the closing chapters of Nehemiah, if you, if you go on and, and read through the next part of the story, you're going to see there is a story where Nehemiah is actually pulling a guy's hair out. Okay, that's a little too strong a lion, right? I can see him being bold. I can see this. I'm Nehemiah. I don't back down. And sometimes I can see his emotions maybe overreach. He's pulling the dude's hair out, right? And so you have the trifecta of evil. And if you go on and read the next few verses, we will in just a second, but they're going to start making accusations at him. Hey, Nehemiah, we hear all these rumors. Hey, Nehemiah, you're a traitor. You really want to be king yourself. And me... My lion self, I want to go here, hold my hammer, and I would come storming off that ladder, and I would set the record straight, and I will tell, I'm going to show you, blah, 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 you know what I'm saying? And that's what the bad guys are trying to do. They're trying to get Nehemiah to get his emotions engaged. Emotional decisions are not good decisions. They're trying to get Nehemiah distracted, and if Nehemiah comes off that wall and he goes to the village of, oh no, they're going to kill him. And that's the thing about our distractions. If we don't deal with them, they'll get us. They'll get us. You have this great work, this one thing. But if you don't stay focused, if you get distracted, it could kill you. It could, it could end your marriage. 
It could wound a relationship. It could create a lifetime of guilt and regret. And so I want to look at Nehemiah's playbook here because I think there's two things that he did to stay focused. The first one is, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's just responsibility. He felt the weight of responsibility. And that's not a bad thing. Nehemiah felt the weight of the work. The wall is up. That's good. But the gates aren't done. So the city's still not exactly safe. It's better, but it's not done. He had been assigned the task of rebuilding the wall, and he felt the weight of that responsibility. And responsibility is a powerful tool. Responsibility is what prepares kids for adulting because adulting's hard. Amen? Responsibility is what distinguishes those who strive for success and those who won't. Responsibility is what can keep you focused on your priorities. It is a great responsibility to step up here and stand behind this pulpit and preach and not stink at it. That's a huge responsibility. Little secret, one of the things that makes me stink at preaching is when my bully wife starts picking on me and harassing me and she starts trying to pick fights. Listen, it's hard to be an anointed man of God and an annoying man at home. That just don't, that's, don't laugh at that. That's real, right? Okay. And then, it's a student of the Bible, just a little verse, 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, even when she bullies you. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of this new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. It's great. I'm down there praying for my sermon. And I'm arguing with my mouth. The Lord ain't going to hear my prayers, right? You know what I'm saying? So I got to be nice to my wife. You're going to take her side? He's like, pretty much every time. So on Sunday morning, she's mad at me about this. I'm mad at her about that. It's okay. She has every right to be wrong. I'm totally fine with that, right? But then I got to get up here and I got to preach. But then there's this whole thing. Like she's up on stage sometimes and she's leading worship and doing the, oh, Jesus. You know, I'm trying to get my heart ready to come up on stage and, and preach. And I'm trying to pray. But at 1 Peter 3, 7, screaming in the back of my mind. You must treat your wife right. I'm going to hinder your prayers. And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Tasmanian bottle rocket comes out, right? So I will do this. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I love you, Brent. Here we go. I will get my phone. Okay, I'm sorry. I never meant to hurt you. Being married to you is one of the greatest blessings of my life. Will you forgive me? Question mark. Send. <laughs> right? She's still on stage. She, like, she don't even know that message has been sent. But I needed to do it in my soul. Because the responsibility of delivering the Word of God, I will be honest with you, there are times the responsibility of being a pastor has worked very well for my marriage. Because responsibility is a powerful tool. And it kept Nehemiah focused on the wall. Gosh, I want to be careful here. I'm not, I'm not preaching to get amens. You're not even doing a good job at amening anyway, right? I'm preaching out of deep concern. I fear that our culture and our nation, we've lost responsibility and respect in our culture. And listen, I'm preaching that out of a deep concern, because here's the deal. Nothing is ever anyone's fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. There's always somebody else to blame. And then 
We don't know how to disagree and still love our neighbor. We've lost that. And I believe God is saying to the church, you need to be a part of the social solution to healing this culture and healing this land. You see, Nehemiah's reputation is on the line. Artaxerxes didn't ask Sanballat. Artaxerxes didn't ask Tobiah. The king had asked him. Nehemiah, I'm asking you. It's your responsibility to rebuild that wall. And that kept him focused on the task at hand. So how did Nehemiah keep his focus? He felt the weight of responsibility, and I think that's a good thing sometimes. Secondly, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. What's the second thing that helped Nehemiah stay focused? He responded correctly. The first one was responsibility. The second one is he responded correctly. Sometimes distractions aren't to-do lists. Sometimes distractions aren't cell phones. Sometimes distractions aren't things or tasks. Sometimes distractions are people. Sometimes distractions are emotions. Your emotions can hijack productivity faster than a bunny rabbit running from a beagle dog. You know what I'm saying? You know why I like this story? You know why I love the book of Nehemiah? is because I connect with Nehemiah. I see me in his story. I'm a lion too. And I know a lion's tendency is to roar. I know the boldness that lions just kind of have internally in our wiring. And can I be honest with you? There is a very thin line between boldness and wisdom. There are times you have to be bold. There are times you have to stand up, take a stand, and be counted, and fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. There are also times you need to have the wisdom to just walk away. Let me show you a couple of Proverbs 26, 20. says, without wood, a fire goes out. Sometimes I just don't need to put wood on the fire. Sometimes I just need to have the wisdom to not step into that moment. Proverbs 26, 4, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. I want to summarize Pastor Joe because he likes to use this verse, don't argue with a fool. Sometimes my lion will choose boldness when really it needs to choose wisdom. Nehemiah had the wisdom to respond correctly. And I don't want to re-preach or rehash a concept we dealt with a couple of weeks ago and how to deal with a critic, but I want you to see something. It's unending for Nehemiah. You will always have someone criticizing something. I think that's one of the enemy's biggest tools. I think that's one of Satan's biggest tools. Even if you go back to the fall of Satan, Satan was a created angel. And Isaiah chapter 14 kind of tells a little bit about this story. And he got proud in his heart. He actually began to say, and put it in the BKV, he's like, I can do better than God. I can make my stars higher than his stars. And God's like, not here, you can't. And he kicks him out of heaven. And so that's one of the enemy's biggest tools is just criticism. Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they're the enemies of Nehemiah. They take some plays from the enemy's playbook. Verse 4, four times. They sent the same message, and each time I gave him the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat server came to me with an open letter. Ooh. Verse 6. And this is what it said. And the next four things you're going to see, they're out of the enemy's playbook. They're out of the critic's playbook. These, these are four things that you will see critics like to use. Number one is rumors. Critics love a good rumor. Gossips love a good, I heard it from a friend who 
Heard it from a friend who better not finish that. Just let that go, right? You young people don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Critics love good rumors. Listen, the more you say it doesn't make it true. Just ask the news media, right? I'll leave that there too, right? So the first thing is out of the enemy's playbook, there's rumors. And then the second thing, it says, so there are rumors among the surrounding nations. Second thing is everybody's saying it. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody, everybody believes this. Everybody thinks this. It's this idea of borrowed influence. This is what I've discovered. Most critics, they don't have enough influence on their own, so they have to borrow somebody else's influence. And this is how you will hear that, hey, we've been talking and we all feel this way. Or they have to name drop some people. Hey, we've been talking and we all think this. Or hey, all the nations are saying this. Everybody is saying this. Straight out of the enemy's playbook. And Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. The third thing that the enemy loves to do is question character and intentions. He's just, he's just kind of jabbing at Nehemiah. He's trying to hit an emotional button. If there's anything that Nehemiah is not, he's not a traitor. Nehemiah loved his king. He would give his life for his king. That was his job, serving as his cupbearer. Nehemiah literally was putting his life on the line every time he took a drink in case someone was trying to poison him. Nehemiah loved his king. He was not a traitor. He was loyal to his king. He was grateful for his king. There's nothing in his heart that wanted to rebel. Sure, did he grieve the captivity? Did he wish his people would have made better choices? Absolutely. But he was also very grateful to King Artaxerxes. He was very grateful the king trusted him and was allowing him to rebuild, and the king was helping him do it. If there's an accusation that would get an emotional response out of Nehemiah, it's to question his character. It's to question his intentions. See, and Nehemiah had personally invested a lot into this. He was not there to get anything. But that's what they said. Oh, you're here. You just want to be king. You just want to be like the, everybody else, and you're just here to take. And it just, that's not the truth. Critics love to question character and intentions. That's why you're building the wall, according to his report. You plan to be their king. Verse 7, he also reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. The fourth thing they love to do is give half-truths. Give half-truths. It's true. There is a king in Judah. His name's Artaxerxes. It's not Nehemiah. Nehemiah never wanted that. Critics love to tell half the story. Listen, and wisdom says this, that there's three sides to every story. There's my side, there's their side, and the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And the critics love to just, oh, oh you're telling people there's a king. I bet you want to be that king, don't you? Nehemiah had the wisdom to respond correctly. Several years ago, I heard a pastor named Perry Noble share this story, and I, and I just, oh, that's good. I, I tell this story. I, matter of fact, a lot of you in here have probably heard me tell this story. And he was on a mission trip in Africa, and they were off in this remote village out in Africa that was about to get a water well. And see, here's the thing. It's, that's amazing for them. Because if a village doesn't have a clean source of water, and, and they don't live on a river, or they don't live at a spring or a water source, that means they have to carry their water, whether it's 10 minutes Sometimes it can be 30, 40 minutes. That means a considerable amount of the people, mainly children in that village, have to spend hours a day carrying pots full of water so that you have water to cook with, you have water to clean with, you have water to drink. 
And so if you have a well right there in your village, that's a game changer. Those children that spend hours a day carrying water, now they have time to go to school where before their time was consumed by hauling water. And then you don't even, that water you're pulling, that's the same water that yaks drink out of. Yaks poop in the water, probably. I don't know if that's a thing or not, right? But you're drinking the same water that, that wild animals are. And so when you get a clean, convenient source of water, especially for a remote village in Africa, man, that was huge. And so this village leader is up in front, and most of the villages kind of gathered there. And he's talking about this incredible opportunity, and he's sharing vision, and he's talking about how this is going to be game changer for the children and the next generation and the families of this community. And most of the villagers are just kind of leaning into this, this potential and this future that he's sharing about. And about 50 feet away from where this village leader is talking, there stands a donkey. And something just starts attacking that donkey. I don't know, a fly, a bug, or something. And that donkey just goes crazy. And I don't know if you've ever heard a donkey go crazy or ever heard a donkey bray. Like our neighbors have a donkey, and we can be sitting out by our fire pit at night, about 9.30, and that thing starts, and that's pretty close to real, you know what I'm saying? And you think you need to call 911 because something is getting murdered. The leader of this village, he's just standing there about 50 feet away. This donkey just, I'm not going to do it again, but this donkey just starts going crazy. And there's a few people that are kind of look at, at the donkey, but the leader never turned his head. He never stopped talking. He never stopped talking about hope and vision and the mission and the potential that was coming their way. The reason why I love this story is there's a new tagline that's born. We probably need some Hillspring merchandise that says, ignore the donkey. Teenagers, you may not use that on your parents, right? Hashtag, that's not cool. Ignore the donkey. Sometimes the donkey is a person. Do not elbow anybody in this moment right now. No looking. Sometimes the donkey can be your emotions. If Nehemiah comes off the wall, the work stops. He didn't waste a minute defending himself. He let God take care of that. His emotions wanted to. He's a lion like me. He, I'm sure there's something in him that wanted to come down off that letter. Let me set the record straight. That's my personality. That's what... But I think Nehemiah responded correctly. I think he was wise enough to know that critics have small crowds, but encouragers draw an audience. Which one are you going to be? Who are we going to be as a church? There's a lot of great things you can do. There's a lot of neat opportunities that are in front of you. But like Nehemiah, like me, probably like many of you in this room, there's that one thing, that priority, that you know you need to do. And here's the thing, you have no idea. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea how this would impact your kids. You have no idea how this would impact the next generation, how it would impact your family, how it would impact your church, how it would impact your city, your country, maybe even your world. You have no idea what God wants to do on the other side of that wall. So you have to stay focused. 
You have to stay committed. I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.